James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Let me read our texts for us this morning and then expound on God's word. James says to the church, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I want to introduce the text this morning by just speaking a little bit on what James is doing in the book of James, and particularly on the importance of this word, brothers. I remember several years ago, many years ago now, uh, my brother and I have one younger brother who's three and a half years uh, younger than I am and almost as handsome, and we are about three and a half years apart. I was probably 14 or 15 years old. My brother would have been 10 or 11. And we had a moment where we were getting in a fight. This was not too rare of an occasion at our house growing up. We were arguing, I think, this time about socks. Whose socks was I about to put on? And we were having that argument, whose socks are these? And I heard my mother yell from the other room to come into her room. I could hear it as clear as if I were there right now. Boys, come here. So Travis and I marched down the room. We go into her room, and she begins, and I don't know what was going on in our life at the time, but she begins to expound on how disgusted she was at our arguing and our complaining. And let me know that we have been arguing, we've been bickering about this and about this and about this. The last thing that the world needs is brothers arguing about socks. And she was doubly troubled, one, that we were arguing about such a petty thing such as socks, but she made it very clear that part of the thing that was most troubling to her is that we are brothers. We're brothers. And I remember her tearfully saying there is enough arguing and complaining in the world for you brothers to be arguing against one another. Well, so it is in the church all too often that brothers are speaking evil and judging one another. In this short five-chapter book, James refers to the church as brothers over 20 times. It's a major theme in his book that our relationship with one another in the local church in Jesus Christ is familial. If you are in the church, if you are baptized, if you are a firm believer of Jesus Christ, you are brothers and you are sisters with those who share the same faith in Jesus Christ. And so often through the book of James, he is sprinkling in this word brothers, which would also include sisters, to say brothers, this is about brotherhood. So he's not just giving an open-ended command to not speak evil to one another. He is adding this word, brothers, to ensure that we know it is doubly troubling that such a thing would happen among the church in brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new struggle for the church that we would judge one another and speak evil of one another. This has been happening since the foundation of the church In fact, you should know today that most of the New Testament is written to the church by church leaders trying to teach the church how to become mature in Jesus Christ because when we become Christians, we are not mature. We're what Paul calls infants in Christ. So you'll see passages like this in Ephesians 4, 29 through 31. Instruction to the church, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Where Titus refers to this, he says, Remind them to be submissive to the church, to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, 
to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. We could go on and on and on and see examples of this in the New Testament of how the early church had to be taught not to speak evil against their brothers. I don't think society or the church has really, and as a whole, gotten any better or any worse. Maybe you've heard this phrase recently on Facebook or on Twitter, if you dare go into those deserts. Something like this, every Democrat may not be a traitor, but every traitor is a Democrat. If you can't laugh, it might be because you wrote that on Facebook this week. That's the nature of social media today. Comments like that will get a lot of clicks online from both friends and foes. Speaking evil against someone. Well, things haven't changed. That was a quote that would be repeated often by Republicans about Democrats during the Civil War that ended 154 years ago. The New Testament offers these kinds of instructions to the church to grow in their love and compassion and brotherhood with one another because it is what the church needs. Instruction, teaching, counsel, discipleship on maturing into Christ-likeness today, specifically in not judging one another. This is built into the purpose of our local churches. I love your purpose as a church. Park Hills Baptist Church exists to glorify by proclaiming Christ and then quoting from Colossians, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. At our church, we say the exact same purpose, but we say it a different way. We say that our purpose is joyfully building up the body of Christ for the glory of God by making and maturing disciples. It's the exact same things. That's what the local church is. A gathering of Christians coming together saying that we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he has died for our sins, that he has risen from the grave to secure our salvation, and that we are trying to grow into being mature like him. And that immaturity that James is addressing today is speaking evil of one another or judging one another. And let me just say a couple of words. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, Have you seen in the church this very thing? Maybe this is for you exactly why you've turned away from the church. Maybe for you this is exactly why you have questioned whether the Christian faith has any validity at all. Because you look at the church and you see the church is just one group of people who get together and they say one thing, but they continue to judge. They continue to speak evil of each other. They continue to gossip and talk about about each other behind each other's backs. I don't want to have anything to do with that. If that's you this morning, I just want to say that we're going to address that. That's not okay. James is preaching primarily to the church, not the world. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. And you, like me growing up, have been very surprised to find out that there are sinners in the church. That there is in the church people, all of us, who are struggling not to judge and to speak evil of one another in the church. How can this be? How does this make sense? What is going on? And I just want you to know that that's been the task of the church since the day Jesus instituted it, to grow and not speaking evil against one another. One of the things we're doing here today is trying to get better at that. Do not be surprised when you come into the church and find immature Christians trying to grow. That's what we are here to do. Well, what is judging one another? And why is judging one another, as James means, so wrong? And what's the motivation to build up others instead? Would you pray with me and we'll continue in God's word. Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning and encourage us by your word.
you know in your sovereignty what we in our hearts need. Some of us, Father, need to be encouraged. We are plowing along in the Christian faith. We are struggling not to judge. We are struggling about others who judge us. We are struggling about that in the church. We pray that you would encourage us that we might continue to walk in faith and obedience. Father, you know if our hearts need not encouragement, but if we need to repent. We need conviction. We need to change. We need to grow. You know, Father. So as we need conviction, we pray that you would help us by your spirit, through your word, to lead us to be more like Christ. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verse 11. I've got a a bottle of water here, and one of my main goals in the sermon is to cough as little as possible so that you, uh, when I leave, you actually think it was better having me here than Samuel. Uh, I've been fighting a cough all week, so forgive me if I have to take a drink or cough. What is judging one another in James chapter 4, verse 11? James is speaking of one thing two different ways. He uses two different phrases, speaking evil of one another and judging one another. But they're the same thing. When James uses the phrase speaking evil of one another in verse 11, he's not talking about casting spells on each other. What does the phrase mean? The phrase means, could mean one of three different things. To give an evil report or conclusion about someone. To make a conclusion that someone has done an evil thing. It can mean saying something slanderous, something that's not true. It can even be as generic as accusing someone in a hostile manner, being mean-spirited. And see how speak evil against your brother and judging one another in the text are really the same thing. But get clarity when James speaks about it two different ways. James 4.11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. That's another way to put it, in other words, or judges his brother. And that word for judges is krenon, which means to make a judgment, to separate or to discern good from bad. It means to sift through something. Like when you go to the grocery store, you're sifting through the good fruit and the rotten fruit before you buy it, or the good vegetables or the rotten vegetables to make sure that you get the good. That's the kind of judgment that James is referring to. So we have these phrases, do not speak evil and do not judge your brothers. What precisely do they mean? Before we get to the specifics of what it means, I want to be careful about what it does not mean. James is not saying that we never, we are to never judge our brothers. James is not saying that we are to never judge our brothers. If you've got fast fingers, go with me to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 through 13, and just look there where Paul is engaging in a question of a brother who is living in public, unrepentant sin. He's calling himself a Christian, a part of the church, and Paul is telling the church in Corinth to judge him and to remove him. So Paul actually tells the local church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 13, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Paul says, we as the church, we have nothing to do with judging those who are outside the church, He says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? You're supposed to be judging the people who are inside the church, discerning in this way. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 5, God judges those outside. He says, purge the evil person from among you. Oddly enough, Paul was actually having trouble getting the Corinthian church to judge one another. 
I would argue that people have left the church and are leaving the church because people are not being judged in local churches. Recently, the Southern Baptist Convention has uh, had a very difficult time, which led to several resolutions at the Southern Baptist Convention last week. Most of it began at, uh, with a series of Houston Chronicle articles that came out the middle of this spring on the uh, terrible, terrible countless epics of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention for the past 20 years. And as you read the articles, as you read accounts, as you hear testimonies, as we heard testimonies through the Southern Baptist Convention, what has been so terrible for the past 20 or 30 years for so many in the Southern Baptist Convention has not been the existence of abuse, but the burying of abuse. The refusal by church leaders, by church members, to say, this is sin, this is not okay, we will deal with it directly. Oddly enough, many people are leaving not because the church is too judgy, but because the church refuses to judge sin as sin. And Paul is trying to do his darndest in 1 Corinthians 5 to get the church to judge each other. There is a time to judge. Every time we baptize someone in the local church, we are making a judgment about them as a church. We are saying that we believe that they are followers of Jesus Christ and that their lives in some way affirm their testimony. But they're Christians. That's what church membership is. It's a local church judging that someone seems to be, best they can tell, a true Christian. When local churches practice church discipline, like in Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5, we are practicing biblical discernment, biblical judgment over each other's lives. We tell people this all the time in our church when they come to membership class. And I know that Samuel means the same for the church here. When you come to this church and join our church, you are asking the church to judge your life. You're telling the church, I want to join this church. Watch over my life and help discern sin in my life. That's what you're doing. Are you ready to sign up for this? Some months ago this year, we had someone visit our church, and upon their very first visit, they expressed how encouraged they were, how friendly they had been. They had been to our church many years ago. They had come back to try it again, and we were so much more friendly this time. Which I was kind of 50-50 on. I didn't know how to take that. They were so glad, they were so friendly and so welcome. And so they came for a few weeks. And then one day I saw the same man walk out of our church very quickly. He didn't want to talk to me, shook my hand very briskly and walked right out. And another one of our church leaders came over and said, you know, this guy just came and talked to me. He said, he will never come back to our church because we are way too judgy. Judge, I said, judgy? What, what would make this man think that we're, we're too judgy? He just said we were nice and welcoming. He says, well, I told him the membership process. You've got to go to a class, you need to speak with an elder, and then the church is going to vote to approve you as being someone that we think is a Christian. And the man said, this church is way too judgy. Now, I didn't get to have the conversation with the man because if I did, I would have said, you have no idea how judgy we are. We're going to pay very careful attention to your soul and to each other's souls. What James is not saying here is what the culture today loves to say. No one can judge me or judge each other on any basis at all. The Bible never argues for ultimate personal moral autonomy. You do you, you be you, and don't let anyone judge you. You have something to say about me and my life, don't judge me. And then people start quoting all kinds of Bible verses to back that up. That's not what James is saying. What is judging others and sin that James is talking about. What does he mean when he is concerned about speaking evil against one another 
and judging each other. James is talking about when you begin to judge other people based on your own personal judgment. When you become the judge and not God. It's like walking into a court where you are on trial and saying, I don't want to be on the jury. I want to sit on the bench. Scooch over. I'll be fine up here to make all the judgments today. Here's an example of how this works, an embarrassing one. I have a neighbor. I've got several neighbors, but I have this neighbor. This neighbor has a garden in their front yard. Their entire front yard is a garden. They also have, right up at the very edge of their yard, coming into the sidewalk, a rosemary bush. In fact, it is so encroaching into the sidewalk that to walk past it, you almost have to get off the sidewalk. My kids are always running into it, riding into it. Every time I walk by, it touches my leg. Now, to my knowledge, my neighbor is not breaking any laws of the city or the state. To my knowledge, no federal first-degree crimes are being committed. I don't even know if our HOA has a rule about sidewalks. But I know what I think about it. I have had visions and brainstorming sessions of getting on all of my ninja gear, which I have, sneaking over in the night with my garden shears and just doing my neighbor a favor by destroying the rosemary plant. I've also had visions of doing it out in the open publicly with a chainsaw. Here's my point. I have made a rule and I have determined who has broken that rule. My rule is that you can't grow stuff from your yard into our sidewalk. It totally messes up my walk to the mailbox. That kind of judging is what James is getting at. Now when I go around and say to my wife like things like, I hate that bush. If I begin to say things like, what kind of neighbor is, is this? Doesn't even care for other people. What kind of neighbor would, would harm mankind in this way? Someone call the HOA. What I'm doing is making up my own law and speaking evil against her and judging her. I'll let you know that it's a her. They're married. I've applied my personal rule to their yard, and by that I have made moral determinations about their care for other people. I'm saying that I am the lawmaker and the judge and that they are evil. Now, of course, this is a very silly Silly illustration, and I will leave it for wondering whether or not it really does lodge deep in my heart. But when we, we make judgments like this all the time, we do this in the church all the time. Someone is of a different theological persuasion than me. Sure, they fit inside the Baptist faith and message, but they are not like me. Something must be wrong with them. How can this person support this political candidate? Clearly, they probably are not Christians. How can someone parent their children like this? I would never do that. 
And it goes on and on and on from one area of our lives to another. I would never do that. I can't believe they did that, that they think that. We do judgments like this all the time, and James wants to tell us very clearly, it needs to stop. James is calling us to be distinct from a culture that is training us to judge each other on a regular basis. If you're on social media, you know, you should know that you are being trained every single day to judge other people. You scroll through post after post, article after article, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to judge along the way. Is this worth a comment? If so, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I laughing? Am I amazed? Click, pick one. Quickly, make a quick judgment on this person, on this thing, and let everyone know and move on to the next one. Think about how what we watch on television reveals what we love. Did you know that Judge Judy recently, this year, received the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019? That's where the bar is for the Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't know if you've seen this show, Judge. I want to ask you to raise your hands. I want you to feel convicted if you like this show necessarily. Judge Judy, one article says, has been the number one program in first-run syndication for the last decade. Judge Judy averaging 10 million daily viewers. 10 million daily viewers. Every day... When those, or we, 10 million viewers watch Judge Judy, who do you think we love to relate with the most? The plaintiff who had a cat that scratched their roommate's couch? No. We want to be who? We want to be Judge Judy. And tell me, if you've ever watched this show, before Judy ever makes her case about who is guilty and who's innocent, have we not already begun to do that in our minds? Well, Judy is going to, she, she's got to go with this guy because this guy is the one who has the cat and, and he didn't pay. And so we love making moral judgments. Why do we watch? It's not because we love watching Judge Judy make moral judgments. It's because we love watching and making moral judgments ourselves. Are you judging others based on your own judgment? When you think about others' lives, are you on the bench? Are you upset with someone right now because their politics don't match your politics? Because you don't think your brother's politics truly honor Jesus and God's word. Do you know the difference? When you and your spouse are in an argument, is it because that they are so defiant against God's word and you are so concerned for, for God's holiness and God's reputation and, and the, the, the truth and the hope of the gospel? Or is it that you said not to do this thing? That you're not getting your way? Are you holding a grudge against your pastor? or a church leader, or a worship leader because they made some choice that you did not like but which the Bible never makes a law about? Is it just wrong according to you? This is what James is speaking about, speaking evil about one another, judging one another in your own personal way. And one of the ways that James revealed this is by showing what is so wrong about speaking evil against one another and judging one another. Look again in James chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, listen to what he says, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Did you catch that? 
if you are found judging other people based on your own moral preference, what you are actually doing is judging God's law. When you make yourself a law, it is to say that God's law is not good enough. That God's judgment is not right enough. It's not holy enough. That it is insufficient. But that somehow you have cracked the code and your law is better, higher, and more righteous than God's own law. That's what James says is going on here. You speak evil against brothers based on your own judgment. You're saying something about the law. I want you to get this image burned into your mind. You can go with me to Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 22 to 24. In your Bibles, hold your finger in James. We'll finish there. James 36, excuse me, Jeremiah 36, verses 22 to 24. If you're in your ESV Bible, which is our house Bible at our church, that's page 664. I've been creeping my way through the book of Jeremiah this year in my personal study. In the last few weeks, I came to Jeremiah 36. In Jeremiah 36, God has instructed Jeremiah to, at this point, write down everything that the Lord has given him. Everything that I've given you to say, I want you to make a copy of it, Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah is so unwanted in the city of Jerusalem at this time, he's wanted his, threatening his life if he shows his face again. So he sends in his, uh, his scroll writer, Baruch. Baruch goes into Jerusalem to read the scroll of Jeremiah, the words of judgment that are coming upon the people of Israel. He reads it out loud. They hear it and they think, wow, Baruch, this is a word from Jeremiah. We need to get this to the king. And so that it is handed off, and then the words of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord, are read before King Zedekiah. In Jeremiah 36, verses 22 to 24, this is what Zedekiah does as he's listening to Baruch read, or what Baruch had presented as read by Jehudi, what it is, what happens when he hears this, Jeremiah's word. Jeremiah 36, verse 22, it was in the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, and they did not tear their garments. One by one, they watched chapter after chapter, column after column of God's word be thrown into the fire, and no one was afraid. No one was upset. Friends, this is the picture of what it looks like when we make ourselves into a law and we ignore God's word. We're just like Zedekiah taking a knife to God's word and piece by piece throwing it into the fire with no remorse, preferring our own scroll, our own law, our own word. When you speak evil of others based on your own judgment, just go ahead and go all the way with it. Just throw your Bible in the fire. That's what Zedekiah is doing. I don't want any word from God. For sure, preach it, write it, show it, tell it. Give it to me. I'm going to throw it in the fire. This is what James is getting at. When you speak evil of others based on your own judgment, you are making a judgment not first about that person, not even first about yourself per se, but about God's law. That it is not good enough. It is not right enough. 
And James is speaking very pointedly to the church. We don't need any Judge Judys or Taylors or Johns or Samuels. We just need God's law. We need God's word. And we ought to judge one another based solely upon God's sufficient words. The word of God is his own law. The Bibles that we hold is God's revelation of himself, of his character, of his nature, of his commands. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it like this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits, of joints and marrow, and discerning. God's word is discerning, which is krino, the same word for judge in James. God's word is judging, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word picks apart what is right and wrong, what is good, what is evil. God's word is entirely sufficient for making judgments about ourselves and about each other. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. He says, all Scripture, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything that we need in terms of instruction and counsel and law is in God's word. We can be complete men and women of Jesus Christ through the judgment that the word of God gives to us. It's discernment, not each other's. That is why it is so wrong to judge others based on your own standard. Because to do so is to say that God's words are insufficient and yours are necessary. James builds on his own argument further by saying next that you cannot judge the law and be a doer of the law. Verse 4.11, continuing there in the next section, he says, But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You cannot claim to love the law of God and at the same time judge others by your own personal law. And, James is saying, you cannot judge God's law in that way and claim to be a doer of God's law. If you are running around gossiping, judging, speaking evil of others by your own law, don't claim to be a doer of God's law because by doing those things, you have already admitted that you are not a lover of God's law. You are living by your own law. I was recently blessed with the pleasure and the opportunity to serve as a potential juror in our Austin court system. I've been wanting to be on jury duty for years. Uh, the legal system deeply interested me. I wanted to be a part of it. It was not near as glamorous as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I did earn six dollars, so that was that was really great. Didn't get picked to be on the jury, but I loved watching the process. I found it fascinating, especially the role of the prosecutor and the defense attorney who had to ask questions of potential juror members before they struck before they stricked them from being on the jury, which is what happened to me. I guess I said the right or the wrong thing. But the prosecutor and the defense attorney ask questions to see. They want to know, how do you feel about the law in the state of Texas? So in our particular case that I can talk about now, there was someone who was driving uh, through uh, 
an emergency vehicles uh, area. There's emergency vehicles on the right, and if you don't know, the law is that you have to get in the left lane. If you cannot get in the left lane, or if there is no left lane, then you need to slow down to 20 miles an hour below the speed limit as you pass the emergency vehicles. And the young man that was there this day had been caught going about five to seven miles an hour over the speed limit. And so he decided he was going to take this to court to see if he could get out of this. And the prosecutor was asking us questions like, do you think that there are exceptions to the law? Do you think that if you are sick or if you try your best and you slow down 10 to 12 miles an hour but you just don't get all the way down to the legal minimum, that that's okay? And, I mean, the conversation was incredible. You know, several people said, oh, yeah, we just need to quit worrying about that and, you know, the law is just kind of a recommendation and, you know, we're going to be nice to people and gracious to people. You know, the next person is, the law is the law. If he was going, you know, 70.5 miles an hour, then he needs to get a ticket. He's, he's broken the law. And, and that was the conversation. And that's often what we are like. And James, what James was saying, if, if that's you, if you are judging the law by the way that you judge other people and saying that your law is better, James says, do not claim to be yourself a doer of the law because you have already revealed that you are not living by God's word, that you are living by your own word. You are not a doer of the law. Don't pretend to be that. You're not a doer of the law. You're a judge of the law. You're judging God's law, saying that your law is better. Friends, you may even feel a tinge of pride and power. You love being your own law. It feels good kind of going rogue, making up your own laws in your house, at your work, when you drive. You should feel some conviction about that in this city. Someone needs to. You're not just saying a judgment about that person. You're making a judgment about the law. When you make a judgment about the law, you do end up being a judgment to yourself that you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. Friends, look at James chapter 4, verse 12. This is where James brings his conclusion on this matter to its highest problem. James says there is only one law giver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You could judge other people all you want to. But one day you will meet the only the one, the singular lawgiver and judge. And this judge, James helps us remember, is able to both save and to destroy. All of the other evil that you have spoken against others will simply become evidence upon us that we ourselves are not doer of God's law. James has set up a situation here where there is no neutrality to God's word. Because to ignore and to set aside God's word really just leaves you with the option of becoming its judge. Ignoring God's word and his law becomes your own law, which is to judge God's law. And there's no neutrality there. One day you are going to face the one law giver and judge. The question is not what's going to happen when other people come into your life and they break your laws and they plant rosemary bushes on your sidewalk. 
The question is, what will happen when each of us individually meet the one lawgiver and judge? Our friends, our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a real dose of the magnitude of our sinfulness, not our personal greatness. I was listening to Ken Mbugwa, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Nairobi, Kenya, recently. He said it like this. It's quite important to embrace your sin for what it really is, your sin in comparison to God's law. If you do not grasp your sin for what it really is, you will not grasp the beauty of reconciliation with God for how it is described in God's word. Ken goes on. If the prodigal son just came home saying, oh, sorry, Dad, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have left with all your money. That was a really bad idea, but now I'm back. He does not enjoy the forgiveness that has been granted to him. In other words, you have to come to acknowledge that we have committed sin against God's law far and above other people ever committing some kind of sin against our law. We are going to meet the one law giver. It is of very, very little consequence that someone would sin against us or our loved ones or that someone would sin against America or the Boy Scouts Code or the HOA or our very selves. When we sin, we sin against God and his law. When David sinned by taking Bathsheba into adultery and then murdering her husband to cover up their pregnancy, David prayed in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and God, you are blameless in your judgment. There's only one judge and lawgiver to which we will all be held accountable. Right and wrong are defined entirely and solely by God. Brothers and sisters, instead of speaking about one another in terms of our own law, speak only in terms of God's law and the gospel hope of salvation from the one lawgiver who is able to both destroy and to save. Our position is not that someone has broken your law, but that we have all broken God's law. And that we are all offered equally salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11 says, For God has not destined us, speaking of those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So that whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we might live to him. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Friends, the opposite of speaking evil against one another is not speaking ego of one another. It's not building one another up as if we are all great people, morally sound, doing well. Encourage one another with the hope that Jesus Christ has died for their sin, for my sins, for our sins, and that if you are in Christ, you are forgiven of sin. If it's required for the sake of repentance and maturity in the church to judge one another according to God's all-sufficient revelation, do it with gentleness, do it with humility, do so holding God's word in your hand, trying to bring them to God's word, not trying to convince them that you are right. But God's law in the middle of all of your relationships, most importantly in the church. And God's law reveals that we are all sinners. That we have all, like Adam and Eve, said no to God's law and yes to our own law. Trust. Trust that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for your sins and for the sins of your brothers and sisters 
who have sinned against God's law. John 12, verse 47. And there Jesus says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, he says, I do not judge him. Isn't that interesting? If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. Jesus says, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is saying, I'm not bringing my judgment to the world. This is not me making things up as I go along. I'm coming with God's word. I'm coming with the mission to lay down my life so that people who have sinned against God's law might be saved rather than be destroyed. And Jesus was the only one without sin according to God's law. Jesus was not a law unto himself, per se. Theologically, perhaps we could say that. He does not judge us. He came to die to save us who have sinned against God's law. And he was the only one. He was the only one since Adam. Not me or you who fully obeyed God's law. When you look at someone next to you, when you're having a conversation with a member of the church or a family member, just know that they are just like you. Their greatest problem is not that they have broken your law, planted rosemary bushes on your sidewalk, left their clothes on your floor, left their dishes in your sink, did not take their shoes off when they came in your house, parked their car in the wrong spot on the driveway, dropped the paper into the wrong file at work this week, didn't email you back for four or five days. The problem is not that they have broken your law. All of our problem is that we have all broken God's law. And the one who is both able to save and to destroy has sent Jesus Christ to save both us and them. Don't speak evil about each other. Don't make up laws and judge people by your laws. Hold up God's law as entirely sufficient for judging ourselves and each other, remembering that it is by grace alone that we are saved. Encourage one another and build one another up. I'll close with Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise those who are simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Bringing rejoicing to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so kind to us in revealing your word to us, but then doubly kind in that having broken the law that you have revealed to us, you've sent Christ to lay down his life for us. Father, we are all deeply broken and sinful, and we have broken your law. Help us walk out today not thinking, not meditating on those who have broken our laws and our judgments and our discernments, but to first think about ourselves and then to think about them as fellow lawbreakers in need of grace from your throne. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came to save us, who came to obey your law and lay down his life for us lawbreakers. Thank you, Father, for that wonderful grace. I pray for Park Hills Baptist Church. I pray for my church. I pray for the healthy churches, those who are believing and trusting the gospel here in Austin, to be a people 
who are known for building one another up in love by speaking the truth that we might grow in every way into the head who is Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.